Hey guys, and welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz, and this is a podcast. Hopefully, like, hopefully I, you've heard the podcast before, and I don't have to explain what a podcast is. Yes, you were saying, Sammy. I like when you say this is my podcast. This is my podcast. Yeah. I'm Josh. Nobody can take it. <laughs> it's our podcast. No. It's like Bernie Sanders. It's like socialism. It's everybody's podcast. Got it, got it, got um, it. No, this is my podcast. This is where I talk to super smart, uh, interesting people. Oh, like uh, And Sammy. Uh, <laughs> um, this week's guest coming up in just a bit is uh, a filmmaker, a writer, a director that I have great admiration for. I was really stoked to talk to Shane Black. Now, Shane Black... Because I know, Sammy, you're not necessarily... Oh, teach me. Yeah, I know. You're not... not, not uh, uh, Here's what I would say. You don't know Shane Black, but you do know Shane Black. Because right. I'm guessing you've seen Lethal Weapon. I have. Have you seen... Well, I don't know if you've seen these films. But let's let's mention them. Oh, let's try. Um, have you seen uh, The Last Boy Scout? Oh, you need to see The Last Boy Scout. The Last Boy Scout is a great movie. Bruce Willis, Damon <laughs> Done. Wayans. Done. Directed by Tony Scott. Great action. Um, it, it, amazing dialogue. Uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes. Great. Yes. Underrated film. Underrated. Um, and uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. He directed that one. Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> you need to leave. I uh, saw Iron Man 3. You saw all of it? Yes. Parts of it? No, I saw the whole thing. Iron Man What happens in Iron Man 3? Well, okay. Is 3 the one with Guy Pierce? Yes, okay. Yes, I did. Oh, my God. And Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben Kingsley to <laughs> yes, you. Yes, of course I saw uh, yes. that one. Shane Black, um, for context... Uh, back in the day, he was like the Wonderkind screenwriter. He he set records with selling scripts for more money than anyone literally ever has in history. Uh, his first script at like 25 was Lethal Weapon, uh, and then he went on to sell Last Boy Scout for nearly $2 million. That Ooh. set a record. Then he sold Long Kiss Goodnight for $4 million. That set a record. Uh, and then he kind of disappeared for a while. He had some troubles. He, he talks about it a little bit of this in, in this interview. He drank too much. He partied too much. All that kind of stuff happened. And he came back around in recent years as a writer and director. And now he's, uh, as his third film, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was the first, Iron Man 3, uh, obviously did Gangbusters, and now uh, this new film, which is excellent and it opens this Friday, is The Nice Guys with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. I'm excited about this. You should be. This is a really good movie. I love the trailers. Uh, the trailers are great. Um, the, a- the, the acting in this is great. The, I, I haven't seen both Ryan and, and Russell have roles as good as this, as this in a while um and uh matt bomer's in it it's just he plays it's a bad guy a very bad guy which is so weird to me um i feel like he's such a gentleman he's a good actor what can what can i say no. um i highly recommend this movie it's it's um super entertaining and this conversation was great because um shane is i don't know he's he's one of those filmmakers that reminded me of like that the, our conversation we had with quentin tarantino when he was in and that he is really a student of filmmaking and will say anything and everything on his mind he's a super candid and um had some really cool things to say about all aspects of his career and the journey that he's been on from uh from the get-go so um cool stuff in this interview very excited about it yeah. what else do we need to hit up uh sammy um, you're watching outlander again <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> i started out i got caught <laughs> re-watching outlander what were you doing while you were no, watching it were relax you? what i was just it was I went in, I had a friend over, her name's Jenna, she's sitting in the corner of this office right now, she's the official <laughs> mood setter for this intro, um, and she came over and I fired up my Apple TV because we were going to watch Kill Bill, mm-hmm. speaking of Tarantino, yeah. and um, she happened to see that an episode from season one of Outlander was Sometimes on. Sometimes you need to go back and just relive some It's a very intricate show, okay. there's a lot of things you miss. No, that's great, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for you. I, here's what I'm going to be watching next, do you want to know? What are you, you going to be you, you watching? But I'm very excited. I just got the screeners for the new OJ documentary. <gasps> Have you heard about this? No. This apparently, here's a scoop. Apparently, this is going to be the thing everybody's talking about in a couple weeks. It debuts on ESPN. I think it's like eight parts. And um, everyone I've, I've heard that's seen this thing says it is astounding and, and uh, an amazing piece of um, filmmaking. So I'm gonna I'm planning on binging on that this weekend. I'd like if you could finish by Monday. Well, I, I, I also need to get through Night Manager. I have a couple episodes, but I don't think they've all aired here in the no, States. No, they haven't. So I'm on episode of three of that, enjoying that. I'm gonna catch up on that, then I'm moving into OJ. That's the oh, plan. Okay. And then you can, well, it's just a link. I'll send you the link. 
Wait, I can't say that out loud. Now they're going to come after me. No, I mean, it's my link, and I will never share it with the anyone. The link to your Twitter feed. <laughs> no, I will not do that. Um, so that's what's what's uh, my big, big weekend. Big weekend. <laughs> you know what the sad thing is? That is a big weekend for me. I'm very excited. Yeah, going to order some Chinese food. <laughs> Maybe. I Watch mean, the OJ doc. I think that sounds lovely. I do, too, actually. Oh, I am... The weather here in New York might be nice, but I like to just stay in my apartment and watch. It's almost like annoying of, when the weather is nice isn't it? because it makes you feel like you have to go outside. I don't feel that way. Oh yeah, you're you're <laughs> really odd guy. But most people would be like, oh, I should go outside. I'm not saddled with that kind of guilt. Do I have going back to the OJ thing? Why is it? I haven't really heard mm. anything. Uh, why well, I can't really why speak to it, it yet because so I, I honestly don't know. I've kind of avoided reading like. Like uh, you know, intricate analysis. I know New York Magazine did a piece on it. I read last week that went over the moon, and I know just personally some people that have seen it that have raved uh, about it to me. So I'll report back next week. How about that? I, that that works for me. I'll I just want to know if it's sports judgment. relate. If it's like more sports, I think it's about the trial. I think it's specifically about the trial. Oh hell yes! I mean, let's go. If the FX uh, series wasn't enough for it you, it wasn't. <laughs> I think I don't know. I think, I think I'm going to get more. I, I'm more into the documentary thing than... than I mean, the, the, the series was okay. Obviously. What? I'm not saying I'm better than You're you. so pretentious. I'm a little, a little, bit, a little <laughs> better <laughs> It'll be like the documentary form <laughs> of O.J. Simpson's stories. Um, what? There's an exciting shoot coming up that we can't talk about. Oh, yeah, there is. We've got a couple ones. Actually, one that I don't know if I've... Con- the other one that is confirmed, the other next After Hours shoot. Did I tell you about that one? No. I don't know. We'll talk about it later. Uh, a couple of cool after hours coming up soon with uh, big movie stars and big movies. That's all I can say at this time, guys. Stop staring at me like that. <laughs> That's Sammy staring at me, not you guys. Um, okay, on with the show. Shane Black is the uh, is the guest. The movie is the Nice Guys show. Check it out this Friday. Uh, you won't be sorry. Trust me. Enjoy. Yay. He had just eaten, by the way. He took a little break before the interview. That's his cup here. Yeah, that's his cup. What was it, coffee? I think it was coffee. Looks like a coffee or a Diet Coke. He had an e-cig and coffee. For, he did? Yeah, he for, vaped in here? Yeah, for, for a little context. Did you hit any of his vape? Sure. I had per, per, He, like, doesn't even know what that means. I don't know what that means. What, uh, you can have it flavored? Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I lead, lead a very sheltered life. <laughs> don't worry about it. All right. Enjoy Shane Black and his vape. Shane Black and his vape. <laughs> Is the well-fed now, uh, Shane? Black? Yeah, it's the kind of gassy, yeah. <laughs> a little gas is always good for a podcast, I find. Oh, yeah. As long as, <laughs> as, long as the mic stays here, yeah. There you go, there you go. Um, well, there's no formal introduction, sir. Is that okay? Do you need a formal introduction? No, I do not. Just tell me when we're going. We're going. It's happening. Do you okay. feel the magic? Um, yeah, it's sort of like Clint Eastwood, the way he directs, when instead of saying... Uh, Action. He yeah. says, okay, go ahead. And people just start, you know. Because are, you a, are you a Quint Eastwood two or three take kind of guy? Or are you a. Um, you know, funnily enough, as I say in London, I, I just I think if you get the greatest actors in the world, then if they haven't got it by the take four, you're, there's something wrong with what I'm doing, right. you know. Um, the trick is, that what, and a lesson I learned is if you really want to play that way, you got to figure out which actor heats up quickest because what'll happen is, you know, if you're shooting over the shoulder of an actor who burns himself out in three takes onto an actor who only gets warmed up after three takes, right. you're doing it backwards, yeah. So were, are Ryan and Russell kind of similar burning um, yeah, flames? Are they kind of at the same speed? Well, Robert Benton tells a story about Meryl Streep that the whole thing on the uh, witness stand where she breaks down in Kramer versus Kramer, she broke down in tears thrashing and just weeping and just exhausted herself and he said honey after the take he says look we're still this is the master we still have <laughs> Save three some more sizes yeah, yeah, yeah. to go as we come in on you and she looked at him and said I know and she hit it every time amazing yeah amazing. she just loves doing that she doesn't need to loaf she, similarly these guys it's always you know I think they would relish every chance to do it again I yeah. think that another take for them Ben Kingsley said something wonderful to me on Iron Man which is, uh, <clears throat> we're doing a shot and we had a camera bump. You know, it hit a bump and it shook the camera. And I said, Sir Ben, we really want this clean, sort of smooth move here. Um, and I apologize because I know you've done this to death here. But if you could just find it, uh, if it's okay to do one more, you know, I would just, I apologize. But could, could you give us one more take? And he goes, No, 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 you don't understand. This is not another take. 
another chance, <laughs> another opportunity at greatness. Yeah, to him, it's, there's no such thing as another take. It's another chance. Yeah. Why wouldn't an actor want another take? Fair enough. Yeah, they spend most of their time sitting waiting for the call to actually work. Mm-hmm. You get all the cameras up there. Let's let's do the thing that I'm trained to do. Oh, that said, you'd be surprised. Uh, I've been on movies <laughs> with guys. They they lobby. They they audition for the part. They they want it. They they come back for seven callbacks. They're like, just anything. I need this part. I want this part. I'll do anything for this part. And then, like, you start filming, and one weekend they go, you saying I can't fly back to New Hampshire for the weekend? <laughs> What's wrong with you? And it's like, it's like, dude, I thought you wanted this. Yeah, you know? what happened to the guy I hired that was so excited? Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of yours, and I'm a huge fan of this film. I don't know what level of gushing you need, but I'll give you, um, like, a six? Is that it's, it's getting a little cloying. I can, okay. When my shoes are wet, then it's the gushing. Okay, okay, yeah. so I'll, I'll stop. But All just right. so you know, I, I, I come at, at this uh, conversation with a, a great appreciation of your work, including this Thank one. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. you're, as we sit here today, you're, uh, you're hours from going to Cannes. You're, you're off to the crazy yeah, Cannes Film Festival. I'm off to the Nutty, nutty Farm. Um, you, went th- you went there at least once before, right, for Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You were that's there. That's right. That's right, and and that was that was a fun experience because even standing cheek by jowl with those kinds of films and filmmakers, you know, we're not in competition, but just to have a chance to be appreciated at that level uh, speaks beyond my wildest dreams, you know. And I get to try out the you know a little bit of French, and if I'm trying to write a little speech. If there's an intro, then just memorize it in French, you know, right. so I can speak it. To, <laughs> Where, where were you at uh, in your life? In your, I mean, it was obviously Kiss, Kang, Kiss Bang Bang was a big one, and that it was your first directing directing effort. What are your memories of Cannes the first time around? Well, the first time around, Cannes was great. <clears throat> um, they were really nice to us. You know, I had I had fun. I, I closeted myself in the room uh, for a lot of the time. I I didn't really uh, didn't really do the whole experience. I it's different when you're a writer or director, especially the first time, no one knows who you are. And you're sort of embarrassed by the attention. Uh, always have been. And there's always... Uh, and also, I, you're, I'm still learning, so I don't want to presume to know so much or to feel like I'm special. Yeah, I'd rather leave that to the actors. Um, so for me, it was more a case of just uh, trying to overcome that fraudulence that puts me you know, at a table or a panel with someone who... I, I, I look at and recognize as a filmmaker as one of my, my idols or influences. You know, right? I, I, I don't. I'm still not comfortable with that notion. So, so you, f- you still feel a long way to go in terms of just honing the directing craft. Obviously, I mean, I would think from the writing perspective, you feel a little bit more at ease with your place in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, directing, well, I guess three th- three films in. What do you see much room to still improve? What are you looking at that you're critical of? Um, it's just it's just different every time and adjusting and being able to think on my feet that's the thing to be able to think on my feet because preparation's essential i need that in order to feel competent just going in and uh <clears throat> you know everyone thinks directing is shot making it's like you know storyboarding and and it is to some extent right. but you know you're always going to have help with that you're always going to have a guy um, who will say, you know, I know you wanted to push to the left, but maybe we could push to the right. And that storyboard is not sacrosanct. It's not set in stone. But what is important is that the day you're set to film a scene, you get the scene in its perfect, maximized form in that day. Yeah. So you have to not just worry about the individual you know, predetermined templates of shot making and really think about the entire experience of that day and how to make it happen so that by the end of it, everything that needs to be in the can is in the can. Right. Um, and uh, that's, that's, it just, it's about efficiency and, and, and just knowing also how to breathe and not panic. God, it's so easy to get caught up because their directing is about a series of questions that are asked you. It's about a hundred things in a hundred you know, different ways flying at you in the space of ten minutes. And, you know, what color should this be? Where does he stand? What does he say? Why did he say that? Why does my character do this? Where is this? You know, is it, are we up and down? Is it day or night? And you, have, you don't want to just toss out answers. You want to think about it. But at the same time, you, you want to do the preparation so that you can toss out answers. Right. You know, I want to say left, right, up, down, because you're an asshole, and, <laughs> you know, boom. Um, I want to th- talk to you a little bit about um, titles, first of all. The, mm-hmm. film, the film is called The Nice Guys. You've always had a, a real way with titles, I feel like. Your films are very evocative. They're, they're um, I don't know, just from, from Lethal Weapon, Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Last Boy Scout, all of them. I, I love them all. Do you take a certain pride? Is there a method to the madness of titling your projects? 
Um, I, I think titles are always important. It would be the same if I were writing books. Uh, it's it, the titles. It's easy to get lost in the the miasma. You know, when I when I read the trades on the rare occasions that I do, and I I see uh, the title of a film, it should stick with me. Yeah. Uh, the nice guys actually, by the way, probably one of the more generic titles that we've come up with. I'm. Uh, you know, it's funny. I go back to the day with Warner Brothers when we were doing Lethal Weapon, and there was some studio anxiety about Lethal Weapon, especially the title. They said, you know, this isn't testing with women, so we don't really want to call it Lethal Weapon. We're going to look at all these other titles. And the one that they picked that they thought was the most uh, powerfully market-savvy uh, title was uh, Hot Shots. <laughs> Eventually became a wonderful film, right? But, <laughs> in its own right. But Hot Shots, starring Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, as, different kind of movie. Yeah, and and you know what? By Lethal Weapon Four, maybe it should have been called Hot Shots. <laughs> it did. It kind of morphed that way. Well, I mean, jumping around uh, since you bring it up, um, are, are you able to look at those last couple Lethal Weapon movies with any kind of ownership, or does it feel like <coughs> no, that, that no, not at all? But they're good. You know, Donner is good at what he does. I just. Um, and I've learned lessons, you know, the idea of taking something, a harsh cop story, and sort of humanizing and bringing it to a level. And, and the, the sort of heartfelt, very profound friendships that are formed in these movies that yeah. feel organic. And, but, uh, you know, it, it just gets so cloying. Like when they're all out fishing together, to me, that just seems like, then it's just, then it's just, and now welcome back to a Lethal Weapon, and here's your beloved characters, you know. <laughs> it becomes more... But what he did with those first couple, um, more so the first one, I mean, was was terrific. I think the whole franchise sort of yeah. went to a place where everyone wanted it four quadrant. They wanted to satisfy um, a lot of people. And the last one, everyone's having babies, for crying out loud. Right. You know? Well, it, it did feel even cloying or, or, or market-driven, even in the way by the end it was bringing in what like, Jet Li was brought in. And it felt like naked ambition for like bringing in new markets <coughs> and Renee. And it, said, and it, it, it just felt a little less um, organic. Well, you know what it felt like is TV, because that's yeah. what TV is now. It's a guy in the front of the poster with his arms crossed, and behind him there's this V of people that stretches out behind him. It's the rainbow that appeals to everyone. It's yeah, the... the, the the, the ensemble uh, ten episode or twenty three episode arc cast, yeah. <coughs> and if you look at those TV posters, they're actually very similar to the poster for Lethal Weapon Four. <laughs> so they're already sort of leaning into uh, more of a televised yeah. uh, idea. And by the way, look what's on TV next fall. Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, yes. <laughs> um, does anything ever match the satisfaction or the excitement of that first film being produced? I mean, what do you remember of that? Oh, another, another admirer calling you. No. Oh, this guy. No. <laughs> I don't know who it is. Um, but, but, I mean, I would think like, you know, that, that first production, you're, you're, what, 24, 25 or something when Lethal mm -hmm. Weapon is produced. Um, as great as the successes that have come in the ensuing years, does anything match the, the first rush of success? You know what's funny? Um, yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, because it's seeing it and having been a part of every aspect of it in the editing room and all through, to recognizing it so uh, intimately that I can tell you not only every shot, but pretty much every line of dialogue and pretty much where the even the number of frames in some cases before a cut. Right. So once you've got that level of familiarity with something and it's also being played to an audience, that's a tremendous satisfaction. Yeah. Um, and also the people that liked it were more impressive to me, like Jim Brooks telling me we did a good job or I did a good job on it was, was more satisfying than just reading in the box office that Lethal Weapon made this much money, for instance. Right. <laughs> so I was actually happier to hear from Jim that the film worked than to hear that Lethal Weapon had made some money. Right. Does, and satisfaction going into the release of this film, um, you know, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, for instance, did not like set the world on fire in terms of box office, right. but it, but it, its admirers are. Yeah. Well, this legion. one's different. If this one doesn't make money, I'm going to blow my fucking head. No, off. don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> but what, what is the word word on like the f bombs and stuff? Oh, this? please, so good. Let, let loose. Um, well, I mean, so what, what's the what's your what's your degree of success? Like, what are you looking for? You just got a, a phone call from a great filmmaker moments ago that was complimenting you. That must feel great. I mean, yeah, no, it feels fantastic. So, um, I think what we need, just need to do in order, and it doesn't have to be huge. It just has to generate, based on our budget, a commensurate amount of money that you know 
we pay back the budget and have a tidy profit that enables a sequel. Yeah. I think that would be great because in these types of films especially, you can have them investigate another case. This was sort of a tasting menu, this film, of the various kinds of situations and these type of characters. Now the tone's established. We know the kinds of things they do. Another case is not out of the question. Right. It does feel like a, kind of an origin yeah. story by the end. It really it, and and um, I, I heard you talking about it in an interesting way about like superhero movies and, and the challenge of them and and, the, and you know a challenge for any film is like it's the most interesting day of your life, right? Yeah. And by the nature of detective stories, it works because there's always that next case, right? And that can work for these guys. And even if it's not the most interesting moment of their lives, the case could be the most interesting moment of someone else's life, right? So you get the and that was a big shift, I think. <coughs> I was talking to a famous mystery writer not too long ago. Actually, it was long ago. And um, he was bemoaning with me the fact that it used to be that the cases were so much more interesting than the detective themselves. The mm. detective was cool, and he had snappy patter, but it was about this intricate web that painted a, a, a tapestry of that type of entertainment, this brand of, of detecting, uh, like half cowboy, half you know, frontier justice and, and, and then mean streets, kind of urban noir. Right. But then they said, well, what if the detective had a parrot that was named Cat? And what if he drove this kind of weird car and he only, you know, he, he had this thing of walking to the left all the time and he wears a funny hat and his girlfriend right. is... Quirks a, and daddy issues <laughs> and all sorts of fun stuff. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it becomes about the personal life of the detective and not the case. Right. And now, that may be contradictory because obviously in these movies, you do want to deal with the personal life of the detective, but the mystery has to be fun and, and thrilling, and there has to be one because we're carrying a torch here, essentially. You know, this is a legacy of uh, Private Eye and noir movies to which I'm beholden. I can't just release a stupid comedy and pull two SNL alumni and <laughs> stick them in and say, come on, guys, improv it up, be funny. You know that this is something that is important to me that I carry the tradition. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the hardest part of something like this? I mean, it seems to me like you have a a gift, a real a panache for 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 dialogue, obviously, and 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 inter uh, interplay. But when you talk about mystery, I mean, that's that's a construction that, as you say, not many people even bother to succeed at. Is that the harder part to kind of make a mystery that gels mm. and feels satisfying? I think so. And most people won't remember it, by the way, but they would remember its absence. Right. They won't know it's there, but you, you still need it. Um, and I found this remarkable um, you know, source for this was this, in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, there was a book uh, by an old pulp writer named Brett Halliday. His actual name was Davis Dresser. And there was a clue in it I liked. So I thought, you know, that, that kind of frees me up. That gives me a little bit of, I know where the story would go if that were kind of the solution or the key that snapped it for them. Right. I called up the granddaughter. I said, can I option the book? I just want to pull a piece out of it. And I used the clue. And we gave him credit. I did a similar thing with the same author in uh, The Nice Guys. There's a clue in there that's taken, you know, I called up granddaughter again and said, hey, it's me. I'm back to pick a clue out of one of your granddaddy's books. And, uh, or maybe his father. No, it had to be grandfather. The point being, there's an infinite stew out there of people who are uh, unsung, sort of largely unremembered authors yeah. that I read voraciously. And you can always find inspiration, if not, in this case, something that you can actually use. Yeah. Is, is there, I mean, having, having worked with two guys that you haven't worked with before, Ryan and Russell, and I, and I would argue that they're... You're exploiting them in ways that other people haven't, and 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 to see um, Russell, especially, I feel like in recent years, no one's known what to do with him in a way, and, and to see that the comic timing he has is, is and obviously the presence that he brings, um, is there a special satisfaction in kind of like finding that secret sauce of like a of a of a pairing that no one's ever seen or even imagined? I think it has to feel right. I don't think there's any alchemy. Or I rather, let me rephrase that. I think it is alchemy. I don't think there's any template or blueprint that you can use practically to say these two will equal a formula that you yeah. know uh, equates to chemistry. I mean, even Ryan Gosling was making a joke about it on TV. They said, "Well, how do you get that chemistry?" He goes, "Oh, there's an app. Right. We just do it, and then you run it through this filter, you know, and it just adds the chemistry to it." And, <clears throat> but the truth is, you don't know that's going to happen. You just have a hunch. Yeah. You feel it. Um, I think the trick is that this was a thriller as well as a comedy, and so you didn't want to just pluck, like I said, two comedians. Right. You've got to find guys with chops who can bring about that heartfelt sort of genuine feel in the 
the friendship that evolves or the relationship. And then they're also funny. Yeah. And that's what makes it work. It would never occur to me because the dirty little secret I have is that if you bring me a thriller movie and say put some jokes in it, I'll say, great, I can do that. But if you bring me a blank page, say write a comedy, I'm frozen. Mm. I have no idea how to just be funny, how right. to write a comedy like, you know, you know, Damon Wayans and Damon Wayans <laughs> in. You know, I can't do that. Um, if you'll indulge me going back, I know we talked a little bit about Lethal Weapon, but I'm just curious, like, on the page on that first or whatever draft it was that you sold of that one, <laughs> was, um, was like, someone like Mel, someone you had in mind no, for Riggs? Ne- never, never, never. I, you know, you may have noticed this. I know you probably write as well. Um, I know you probably do. That's, that doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense, does it? You know? Um, I, it's the glasses. They give it away. But, but the I have point, the capacity. Yeah. Here's the deal. When you read a novel, when you read the latest, you know, uh, Robert Ludlum, or, I don't think you're picturing actors. When you read it, you've got right. this amalgam that your head sort of provides you based on, you know, people you've known or people you've even seen pictures of. Right. You sort of form these, these sort of templates of people in your head. Then, and when you're doing a sequel, now they've been replaced with the actors who played it in right. the first movie. But the first Lethal Weapon, you know, who knew? I, I, at the time, was a huge fan of this guy, William Hurt, who was fairly young then. And I, wanted, I was just desperate for William Hurt. Um, and then when Mel Gibson was cast, my initial reaction was, well, I guess he's Australian, you know. And, um, and that you can still hear it sometimes. But no one cares because, do you really want to jump? Aye, <laughs> aye, you want to jump? But no one cares right. because mostly he's just brilliant, you know. Have, have you, uh, I mean, obviously he's had a, his troubles going back years now, but I mean, he's, he's directing again, which is great. Have, yeah. you, have you written for him? Have you tried to get him in anything? In I tried years? back in, in 2008, I believe. We were going to do something called The Cold Warrior. Unfortunately, that was sort of the crux of the industry's uh, rejection of him and the that subsequent of it, sort yeah, of yeah. blackballing. And, yeah. and I think that it's in essence, whether it's justified in your mind or not, it was blackballing. The industry said, go away. Um, personally, I just feel like, there. You know, first off, I will go on record saying I don't think anyone should ever, ever be held accountable at an industry level for something they say while they are drunk. If they're sober and they get out of hand, that's one thing. But, you know, if I'm drunk, I'm going to be deliberately belligerent. I'm going to try to make you mad. I'm going to say something crazy just to get a reaction, you know. So uh, the idea that a drunk person is then held accountable for a rant uh, when they were completely, they don't even remember saying it. You know, I don't believe it in vino veritas. I don't think that who you are when you're drunk is, that's the real you. I don't believe that. Mm. I've seen people who are great people, and they just go off when they're drunk. Did, did you yourself feel blackballed <laughs> at a certain point? Obviously, you had, you had your years away from the industry. Mm. Did you feel like... Well, I made a lot of money and perhaps too much. Uh, I didn't want to give it back. I mean, I don't think anyone would. Right. But there was a period, uh, I talk about sometimes, where after I'd sold one script for like almost two million, another for four million. And and I had done at that point The Monster Squad, Lethal Weapon 1, Lethal Weapon 2, uh, Last Action Hero, Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Last Boy Scout. And my friend Dale Lorner called me. He's a good writer, great writer, and said, "Hey, let's you know the Academy of Motion Pictures is kind of a fun thing. You get to vote for the Oscars. Want me? Let me sponsor you, and we'll get you an Academy." I said, "Great, that sounds like fun, Dale." Letter comes back a couple weeks later, Mr. Black. You know, we've reviewed your application and find that at this time you're not of sufficient caliber for a membership in the Academy, but you're free to apply at a later date when you have more credits. <laughs> and I thought, "Wow, wow!" So it wasn't just me; it wasn't the imagination. There was this snub. And I thought, well, why would they do that? Is it just action movies? No, it's a combination. I'm a kid, and I got paid way too much to write movies that they think are hacky movies. Right. My only mistake under those circumstances was to actually let my feelings get hurt, to be sensitive about it. Obviously, I could have just laughed and shrugged it off, and I did publicly. I said, ha, 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 I'm not, <laughs> I'm a far cry from heartbroken. The Academy can, you know, ho, ho, ho. Right. But then I went home, and I'm like, they don't like me, you know? <laughs> and I, I'm a people pleaser at heart. I, I don't want people to, you know, to react negatively. And Now, the good news is it actually pushed me in an unhealthy way to perhaps try too hard to then 
demonstrate that I was worthy of the attention that they were snubbing me for. You know, I said, I'm going to write something real. Right. Chasing poignant. some respectability. And yeah. <laughs> so Jim Brooks, who was a friend of mine, who'd done Terms of Endearment Broadcast News, you know, as good as it gets. I said to him, Jim, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to write something, and would you look at the pages? He said, sure. So I think, here we go. I'm going to be Jim Brooks. And that's I'll show those guys that I can write. And I started writing this romantic comedy. I was trying to make it poignant. And he liked it at first. And then around to page 80, he said, dude, like, it started out great, but I don't know where the hell you're going with it. It's just kind of all the You're flailing here, you know? So imagine that kind of night where I sat there. My idol, Jim Brooks, my, my role model, has said, you know, this attempt on your part to sort of demonstrate that you're going to write something outside the genre and really it's failing. Yeah. You're failing. But I have a survival mechanism, so I didn't panic. I said, all right, well, look, 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 40 pages are good. 80 may, you know, it's, it's all over, but I'll bet I can scrape together 40 good pages out of there. And I remember distinctly the moment when I said, fuck it, I got to put a murder in it, <laughs> and then I can finish it. And sure enough, I put in the gay detective that Val Kilmer would then play, and I put a murder mystery plot in with a plot piece I hauled out of Brett Halliday. And now, that's why it's uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang feels such like a hybrid, because it's half romantic comedy I set out to write, right. and half murder mystery. Ultimately, it was for the best. But yeah, I was just, I was feeling snubbed. I let my feelings get hurt. Did, um, I mean, in, in, in those years where there were no credits, Mm-hmm. Were you were you writing regularly, or was it sort of like I need a break and I'm going to enjoy my life? Well, it wasn't I was in fear. I, I always felt in between projects that I was a fraud and I would be caught out. That the fraudulence of my inabilities to write would be on display, and very soon because every time I'd <coughs> I'd sell a script, even for a lot of money, especially for a lot of money, I would say, "Geez, I've just now I don't I forgot how do I write? I can't remember what how do I even do that." I'm bad at this. Uh, only recently have I come to feel more, you know, good about that. So I, you know, I, I took too much time off. I drove around with my friends, and we would go to, you know, parties in the hills and just hang out like the guys in Swingers. But even still, it was I was still working. I was just fighting back. Um, there was a period in the post millennium where um, I got kind of down and started to drink too much, um, and then I had to stop. Then I had to really face that. Uh, and by the way, I'll say this to the writers out there. If your career is having trouble and you feel kind of blue and you drink a lot of alcohol <laughs> or maybe even do some drugs, you might stop to consider that maybe there's a correlation between those two things. <laughs> I just, 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 you know, I know it's a crazy idea, but there might be a connection. Um, jumping around again, but going back, because I, I just watched it yesterday because it was a good excuse to watch it, was Last Boy Scout, which I love. Mm-hmm. I have a great affection mm-hmm. for. Um, was, uh, was, was Tony a good match for that material? I mean, there, there are all these stories that, like, Tony and Joel didn't get along, that, yeah. that um, Damon and Bruce didn't get along. Were you on set? What was I, your experience see, I wasn't it? really on set for that one. I heard some, some horrendous stories. I can't verify them. It's senseless to repeat them but um what i did hear was from tony himself was that he thought the movie didn't come out quite as well as it might have and he thought the original script was actually uh, had a lot of promise that by the end it sort of felt more pedestrian Mm. i personally think the first half of the movie works extraordinarily well and i'm just sort of baffled and not too happy with the action portion in essence the last part right and and that was the that was the first uh record payday i think at uh-huh. the time right and then that was followed relatively soon after by long kiss goodnight do i have that right right that's correct. right yeah. um which again i mean i know there's a legions that love that film and, and i've talked to every time i see sam jackson over the years i've talked to him about that and i know he loves that film and he's talked about how he wants to play that character again yeah have you ever consi- considered actually writing another story i have and i even talked to sam and we went in and pitched it and the studio said no uh, this upsets me to no end. What was the, the germ of the idea? Could you hint a little bit? No, the idea was just that, you know, we focus on Sam years later uh, coping with uh, Gina Davis's daughter as she goes into college, and um, the, her, the past comes back to haunt them in a way. And, it you know, we hadn't really worked it out entirely, but we felt that there was something there because Sam uh, is such a... He's the best actor I've ever worked with, by the way. 
I don't mean to take away from anybody, but you know, I've never seen anyone love acting that much. And I'll give you an example. There's a scene at the end of Long Kiss Goodnight where he's in a car, dying, talking to Gina Davis in tears, and he says, you know, you you got your mother's eyes. You know, don't let anyone tell you different. Right. You know. <clears throat> so we were done, except we needed a shot across the street. We actually saved the master for last of the actual car sitting in the snow, fifty yards away. We said, okay, Sam, don't get out of the car yet. <laughs> You're still mic'd. Can you go through the scene? We just need the silhouettes in the window doing the scene so it'll match uh, action. Right. We're listening on the head. He does the whole scene with tears again. And it's silhouettes in a car 50 yards away. He just loves He won't compromise. It's that Meryl Streep story all over again. It's the Meryl Streep thing. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just actually get off on it and enjoy it, and that's what they're, mm -hmm. they're on this planet to do. Um, have, uh, working with actors, you, you were an actor yourself. You acted way back when. Yeah. Um, does, did that was that was that an aspiration as equal to writing and directing early on? Perhaps. I mean, I wasn't a very good actor. I mean, I've done some. I did some things recently. I just everyone saw someone call me up. There's a little movie called Swing State with mm -hmm. uh, Billy Zane and Ted Levine. I did a part in that. You know, um, but I, I would I would go into an audition at the age of 22. You know. And I'd be sitting there waiting to go in the office, and some guys would be sitting with me, right? And here comes a guy through the door, and I recognize him from TV. I'm like, oh, God, shit, I, I know him. He'd be great for this. You know, <laughs> and that's the, you can't have that mindset. Right. You have to think like you're the guy that's going to sort of exclusively bring something to the dance that no one else really is bringing. And I felt that I had a, a germ of that with the writing game. Mm. And to some extent now, I think once I have the ability to control the tone of a piece, that directing-wise, there might be something I bring that other people wouldn't get. Yeah. But as an actor, I don't think I'm in the same boat with these people. Well, maybe your most notable credit on the IMDb as an actor is in Predator. Sure. Going back. Um, were you, I mean, were you also doing rewrites on that? Was that also part of the gig, or was it simply an acting gig? Uh, well, they wanted me to do rewrites, and that's why they hired me as an actor. They said, come down, and then behind closed doors... I'm sure they were saying, "Yeah, man, if we have trouble. We'll just we got we got bargain in here, right there." So of course they came to me and they said, "Would you do this for us, please?" And I said, I, I, "I'm just an actor, <laughs> and I wouldn't do it." You know? And part of it is because I didn't think the thing needed that much help. Of course, I wrote jokes for myself, but <laughs> nobody else. Um, you're hopefully endeavoring on that as your next directing gig, right? The, yeah, the, the next, next, that's film. the next thing up. So what's your affection for that franchise? What, what, can you sum up sort of why you love it so and why you felt it? I think one of the things I love about it is it's infinitely variable because it has a close encounters aspect to it of an incursion into Earth airspace by something mysterious that we don't know that calls back all those 50s horror films. It's got the monster movie element that Alien has. It's got the heroic military uh, stuff that you can subvert or cling to as much as you want. You can go with Arnold or you can go with the opposite of Arnold. Right. Um, and ultimately, it's just creepy. It has the potential to be really creepy and um, and be the thing around the corner or under the bed that just that doesn't make sense in the middle of the the, the landscape of every day. Yeah. You know, um, I just, and it has, you know why? I'll tell you why exactly. It just occurred to me to talk to you. I, I like it because it's Johnny Quest. I don't know if you remember Johnny Quest. Yeah, of course Quest. I do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that kind of adventure. Um, the combination of science fiction, espionage, and military. Right. But and all you have to do is throw in a kid, and you would have Johnny <laughs> Quest. So are you throwing a kid into this one? Um, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Kids often end up in the mix in your films. I mean, can, can you say anything without revealing too much in terms of like, will it be a familiar kind of context, a familiar milieu, or are you trying to find something a lot different than we've seen in the other Predator films? <sighs> Um, I, I think that, that ideally we're just endeavoring to get back to what Joel and John Davis uh, managed to pull off with John McTiernan in the first film. Now, that said, I don't want to make it huge. I don't want to, you know, it's not about 50 predators, you know, crum trumping over the mountains, you know. Right. But um, short of the armada scenes that I don't think help the film, I think that having a sense of eventizing it making it feel fresh like that first movie yeah. is going to be helpful. Um, there was a period where Fox was sort of churning them out at a certain $40, $50 million budget, whatever, a guaranteed return. Right. And you'd see a week out that, oh, look, there's a Predator movie opening. Another one? Yeah, I guess so, you know. Yeah. And maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. But there was never the sense of being a month out 
and ordering tickets early right. to make sure that this was one you didn't have to line up for. You could just walk in. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to predict success for the movie, but I'd love to give it the opportunity to be that ambitious, yeah. that it aspires ultimately to be the kind of serious summer movie that Alien was back in the day. Well, I was going to say, and if I know Prometheus has its detractors, but at least Ridley kind of did reclaim that franchise mm-hmm. from the similar pile, you know, that, that heap of sort of like, uh, it's an event again. It's ambitious. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's huge. And there's huge stuff in Prometheus, but ultimately it's still a small cast. Right. In an isolated location. I, and by the way, you're right, it does have its detractors, and there's some silly moments like the uh, geneticist or biologist who deals with, he goes, oh, come here, I, sweetheart. Well, and, and then the, the, the guy that loves rocks, and, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like Prometheus. I, I like a lot I about like it. I the yeah. film a lot. Yeah. And the reason I know that is because when it's on, I'll just start watching it. Exactly. It goes for something. It, it has ambition, as you said. Um, I, when I, I spoke to you for a second at CinemaCon, I think you hadn't yet talked to Arnold. How important is it to get him in the mix, potentially, or is it not integral to the story to get Schwarzenegger back? You know, I think that um, there's one of two ways we can go. Either we, we use Schwarzenegger or we don't. And uh, there's advantages uh, to, to using him. And there's a story to be told if we don't. And I just... Uh, I'm not going to tell you which one we chose. <laughs> also, okay, because so the, the we, choice has been made. We, we made a choice that I think is is, is cool, okay. and uh, we'll see what happens. Because uh, on a separate note, not necessarily related to the Predator films, but uh, it, it saddens me that no one's figured out what to do with Arnold post his mm-hmm. uh, government career. Uh, that he's uh, he's he's an untapped resource as a as a screen presence. That I feel well, someone needs to take advantage. The, the of. truth is, look, we you know. I, I think he's, he's, he's fantastic, and Terminator Genesis ended up making a great deal of money overseas. It's just, um, part of it too is that, you know, these are action heroes you're dealing with, and people do get older. Yeah. Um, I, there's gonna come a time where even Tom Cruise is gonna be, you know, 60 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm old. We're all getting old, so. Adapt and survive in some in some way. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's also curious. Um, speaking about adapting it and kind of like, look, second acts and third acts. I mean, what 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 you did with Downey and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was immediately followed by Iron Man, and you can't um, help but think there's a correlation there. I'm sure Favreau and the team saw what he was doing in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and that helped him get there. And then, of course, you came back around on Iron Man. Um, I mean, that experience. Um, Again, what, what, one of the things I love about Iron Man 3, um, as much as I love, I don't know if you've seen the new Civil War film. And it's still, I have. It, it, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. But it's great for what it is, scope and, and an ensemble, et cetera. Yeah. And, and your film was, was, was smaller in a way. Yeah. I mean, the stakes were big and the personal stakes were huge, but it, it felt like a, a smaller story. And I think there's not enough of yeah. that in superhero films now. I, I think that the, the scale can be your enemy after all. How many apocalypses can we live through? I don't mean to apply that directly to X-Men Apocalypse, which is coming. I mean, literally, how many apocalyptic scenarios, one after another, every summer can one sustain. Exactly. Um, But that said, Captain America, I love that film, and I'll tell you why. It's because Marvel remembers to do something right. Kevin Feige, in particular, having worked with him, he'll have his superhero come striding in slow motion out of the mist, lit from below, you know, photographed from down under, and... You know, it's chiseled jaw and all this stuff. It's a myth. And then he stubs his toe. <laughs> and that's what they remember to do. Right. Uh, there's a series, Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier, in, in uh, this movie, there's a scene where he's brutalized and tortured. But then there's a moment where he's nudging his pal because Cap's kissing a girl. Exactly. You know? And they remember to do that too. Yeah. To bring it down to that level where you, it just takes you by surprise. It shocks you. And then you go, no, 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 that's perfect. And... It's, I think, because they're comic book guys. They know how to play this game and wield these cards like a magician, knowing when to t- change up the tone. Yeah. And too many people think that you have to stay true to one specific tone solely throughout the whole piece. And that's the ones that change tone are the ones I like. What do you think of what they've done with, uh, I mean, Tony's been put through the ringer, particularly in this last one, since Iron Man 3. <laughs> um, are you happy, or as, as someone that had, you know, that had control of that character for a brief time, what they've been doing with him, and do you see a future for that character? I think it's, I think it's spot on. Um, and and uh, I think there's an inf- infinite variety of things that Tony Stark can do, as long as you don't 
ever really let him conquer the demons. I mean, in this one, he's got new demons. Right. Um, but at some point, you know, being a superhero involves these superheroic responsibilities that leave you open to being really shattered emotionally. And in this latest Captain America movie, he's you know almost loses his best friend. He's tormented by guilt. You know, he reevaluates his entire worldview. You can do that with Tony Stark for ten more movies. <laughs> as far We'd as like I'm to concerned. see him tortured. Yeah, and they haven't even gone until the alcoholism. My God, I don't think they're ever going to go there. Did you did you try in Iron Man three to bring that into the fold? Or was oh, I, when I came into the first meeting, I mentioned it, and there was just a big look around the room, and then no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you fuck with Mandarin, but not it, with no, alcoholism. And it might change now, because the truth is, back then, they were driven by toy sales. Right. And now they're not. So back then, it's like, and new drinking Iron Man, you know. <laughs> add, add add all the different types of Jack, you know. <laughs> was that the one thing that you couldn't quite get in there? Obviously, the Mandarin choice was huge, and, and I, uh, yeah. I loved it, but I know there were, there were... There were detractors. It's sad, because the idea of AIM, which is a think tank, you know, cobbling together a boogeyman based on its research into our fears right. as a world of what triggers you know the, the response that uh, leads to people being sheep-like and then using the internet to broadcast it seemed like wow that's really textured and modern that feels cool uh, and the fans just wanted the magic rings <laughs> they wanted lasers coming out of rings and I, I wish they had seen it as with as much fun and as Drew and I and even Marvel at that time did but because we just thought to ourselves, look, you know, Whiplash in Iron Man 2 doesn't look like Whiplash in the comics. You want to trade it up right. a little. We traded it up too far for a lot of the fans. I think they're just more vocal. <laughs> I think most people really enjoyed what you did with Mandarin. I think just the, as we know on the uh, interweb, the, the, the vocal minority. Well, Marvel made an entire movie to apologize for it. <laughs> they made this thing called Hail to the King where they say, oh, it's not, I'm sorry, right. sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's not really him. It's not really him. I swear there is a real Mandarin. Oh, my God. You know, they went into like re retrieval mode. You're disavowing like, the short film. <laughs> I'm not disavowing it. I'm just, it's it's fine. I'm just saying that I don't think it would exist if there hadn't been right. a fan I blowback. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you're busy with and, and busy with some kind of potential franchise things. I know Doc Savage is another one that's out there. Yeah. Um, have you taught? Is, is Marvel or even DC something you would ever consider doing another uh, film? In that, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Mar I may be too outspoken just in, in talking candidly, or, or, or maybe the fans at Marvel of Marvel movies and their Mandarin. Uh, I, I just saw a, a meme the other day. I told someone of. Uh, it's a picture of my face on a body being ass-raped by the Mandarin, and it says, prepare your anus is the actual word balloon. And I think that's... That's not too extreme. No, that's, no, that's, I, that's, that's I, a justifiable no, yeah, response. Yeah, I, I really... Actually, <laughs> you get stuff like that on your, your feed, you know, or in, the, in your inbox, and you think, well, I guess they really didn't like it. <laughs> so you're saying you're anxious to do an Avengers movie and, and welcome that back into your life. So, I, 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 no, it's not even that. I would very much be open to, uh, to the possibilities of Marvel, because I'm such a huge fan of what Joss Whedon originally told me when I was on Iron Man. I was, all the moving parts were so huge, and he said, look, trust the machine. Yeah. You don't have to control every moving part. Feige is very smart. Broussard, Victoria Alonso, uh, Lou Diaspizito, these are smart people that are there for you. And I did. I learned from that time that the, the, the way I could screw up was to close my ears and start blabbing. And the way I could succeed was to just you know, take the cork, put it in my mouth, and take the cotton out of the ears and, and actually learn. So I'm such a fan of what Marvel gave me in terms of that education that I'd be happy to go back under the certain circumstances. You know, uh, maybe they would actually pay this time. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. They they paid me, but um, before I, before I let you go, I, I'm just curious. I mean, also in terms of we talked a little bit about working with with Ryan and Russell, but um, we didn't really get into uh, Downey and specifically. I, I mean, I'm the biggest Val Kilmer fan on the planet, and I'm so happy that you gave him. He again, he hasn't been given enough great roles in recent years. I don't know what that's about exactly, but um, well, he's he's sort of cheapened his brand. He did a lot of movies that just go straight to Redbox. Exactly. You know. Yeah, yeah. We we I had him in here for like one of those like fifty cent movies that just sort of came and went, and it was like, yeah. I, and you know, I I guess that's what you do if you can. Yeah. But the consequence is that when someone tenders your name, as I have many times at a big studio meeting, they say, uh, yeah, he's really good, but right. And it's because he's just done so many little movies that didn't make a blip. It's weird. And I think of someone like, I mean, 
I mean, Bruce Willis and Travolta do those kinds of things, and yet they I, they somehow they they emerge a little bit unscathed, or maybe not totally unscathed. I, I but I don't think that the studio has the same opinion of Travolta that he used to. Even yeah, um, you know, he used to be the kind of twenty million dollar star. I mean, I don't know. I think John Travolta is wonderful. You know, I don't even think it's that. I think that it's ageism, frankly. These guys, if they want to play action heroes, there's a point where they all just get a little old. Right. Where you start to think, you know, I get it, but, you know, why aren't they using, you know, uh, I don't know, Matt Damon. Right. This guy looks like he's 60 years old. Yeah. Uh, lastly, do you have a favorite line you've ever written in a film? Mm. One that's made it to the screen intact or... I do, and it's strange. It's not even a. It's, it's not the funniest joke in the world. But my favorite line they ever wrote was when uh, Brian Cox in Long Kiss Goodnight catches up to Sam Jackson, and he says, "Basically, how'd you find me?" And he says, "There may be many reasons to kill you, but among them is not that you'll be missed by NASA." <laughs> I always like that one. It's a good one, and delivered by the, the likes of Brian Cox. I yeah. mean, you can do a lot worse. Um, thank you so much for coming in today. I'm a huge fan, uh, as I said, of the nice guys. I hope it does phenomenally well for you, and I hope we get to see um, Ryan Russell and you collaborate on more of these adventures in the future. I would love that, yeah. Hey, by the way, if you're, if you're saying that on the air, yeah. don't be afraid to tweet it out either. Well, I'll, I'll be there on social media for you, man. All right, I appreciate right. that. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. Hey guys, what if you could repeat the most important day of your life until it was perfect? Replay, a new original comedy series on Go90 follows Allison Lee, an aspiring DJ who gets more than she wishes for when she's stuck repeating her disastrous 25th birthday party over and over again. Allison is forced to choose between impressing notorious Vegas club promoters Sven and Sophie or keeping her friends and faces the hard reality that sometimes you can't have it all. Now, replay stars Lindsay Fonseca from Agent Carter, Tyler James Williams from Everybody Hates Chris, and Serena Fialo from Glee with special guest star YouTuber Mamrie Hart. New episodes appear every Wednesday. Stream replay only on Go90, a free mobile entertainment app available on iOS and Android and go to www.replayseries.com to watch the first episode of Replay right now. Check it out. That's the show, guys. I'm Josh Horowitz. This has been Happy, Sad, Confused. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz. Go over to wolfpop.com. Check out all the amazing shows over there. And most importantly, check back in next week for another edition of Happy... Sad. Confused? Hi, everybody. This is David Gregory, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, The David Gregory Show. It is that easy to remember. And it's me talking to all sorts of really interesting people, getting them off their regular script into deeper, more personal conversations, like Ariana Huffington about parenthood. I think especially for mothers, they take the baby out and they put the guilt in. Or Bravo TV's Andy Cohen on being less afraid. Look, I'm a single gay dude on a late night talk show. If I can't overshare, who can? We'll have a new program every Friday. So go to iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app and download The David Gregory Show and eavesdrop on really cool conversations. Thanks for listening. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.